Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. I'm your host, Paul Garcia, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Peter Howard, director of the Fulton Sheen Movement. Dr. Howard Fulton Sheen is an immensely important person here at the Catholic Spirit Radio studio in Normal, which is under the Diocese of Peoria, where Fulton Sheen lived, went to Mass, and was ordained as a priest and even served his priestly duties for a time. We've got tons of relics and letters from him here, and you are on the front lines of his canonization process, so thank you so much for joining me today. It's really an honor. Well, thank you, Paul. It's great. It's an honor to be with you and, and all your, your listeners. Hey, thank you so much. Well, let's begin with a bit of a broad stroke question, and that is, who was Fulton Sheen? Well, I'll kind of paraphrase the uh, a quote from his biographer, uh, Thomas Reeds. He, after, by the time he finished all his investigation for uh, research into his biography on Fulton Sheen, which is kind of the definitive work called America's Bishop, um, he came to the he says, I came to the conclusion that Fulton Sheen was the most significant. Catholic in 20th century America. And I think that that really sets uh, the, the stage of how important this man is, not just for the time in which he was alive. You know, he was born in 1895, died in 1979. Um, but as like, like Sheen would say about everything else is why did God have this figure or this event take place at this particular moment in history because if we don't ask those questions, we'll always miss the total significance. And when you look at the life of Sheen, um, he, was, he was given more for our times than even his own when he was greatly needed. Right. And he, to my knowledge, he was perhaps the first televangelist. Of course, he had the wildly popular radio show Catholic Hour and the wildly popular TV show Life is Worth Living. What do you think that his, his goals were? What was he... Tell us about what he actually did besides his priestly roles. Uh, tell us what he did as a bishop, what his roles were, and just a little more about his biography and what he did. Sure. Well, um, he was he was ordained a priest in 1919, and uh, for the diocese of Peoria, and then afterward, uh, he spent a little bit of time studying at Catholic University, but he really wanted a lot more. Like the whole premise of his priesthood, his whole mission in life, he says, I want to know what the modern world is thinking, and I want to be able to respond to its errors um, with the teachings of St. Thomas Aquinas. Now, that may catch a lot of people like off guard, like, I never really heard him mention St. Thomas. Well, that was his genius, is that he had a master of both. He studied everything that was going on in the world. He was first and foremost a philosopher. Um, you know, he, he went overseas to the University of Louvain, in Belgium, and he studied at the Institute of Philosophy there. That was especially created by um, Pope Leo XIII uh, for this purpose of what is the world thinking and, and, and taking all of these sciences and then being able to be formed in such a way that the Church can confidently and, and convincingly, uh, compel, with, uh, yeah, in a compelling manner, answer the the, uh, the problems that the world was facing, and he did extremely well there. He you know he obtained an award that no other American had ever received. It was a super doctorate, and this kind of set the stage for him. Um, when he came back from that, he had offers all around the, the world <laughs> to teach because of that. 
his doctorate dissertation that he wrote became the best-selling. It won an award, actually, in, um, in Europe for best philosophical work. And the essence of that work is, what does it mean when a world detaches itself from God, who is intelligence? Well, long story short, it's the world in which we have now. And so, um, anyway, so that he, he came back, he was, he, his bishop had him come back, to just basically come home, spent a year working at one of the poorest parishes in Peoria in St. Patrick, which is no longer an active parish. And then he got sent to Catholic U, and there he taught for 20 years. And during that time, he about 10 years into that, he got into more of his, his radio. He got into the media. He spent about uh, 20 years doing, um, or I, let's see, yeah, a good 20 years doing radio, the Catholic Hour, like you mentioned, which was, for him, it was just a very direct presentation of what the Church believes. And it was to a Catholic, you know, it was oriented to a Catholic audience, and he has extremely powerful things on there. You can listen to a number of those things on YouTube. Um, and, you know, this, this spanned right in through the Second World War, and, and during that time, I think he made some of his most prophetic statements about the times in which they were living then, but especially where, where uh, not only the world, but in particular the United States was going. Um, and then in the 1950s, he was given, um, he was made uh, bishop, uh, 1951, he was made bishop of, um, auxiliary bishop, I should say, of New York, New York, the Archdiocese of New York, under Cardinal Spellman. Big opportunity opened for him to do a TV show. It was actually <laughs> destined to fail. There was no expectation of it having any success whatsoever with this kind of obscure network called the Dumont Television Network. Um, but as we know, uh, after the first year, he swept the entire country off its feet, won an Emmy for best personality. And then for the next uh, eight, you know, for eight years, he had a program that had 30 million viewers a week. And that, and what was different between his television and his radio was the way he described it in his own autobiography was he said, yes, the, the, the radio was like a direct presentation of doctrine to a Catholic audience. Now that he's on TV, with a broader audience, he could, you know, reach more people, and he, and it was predominantly non-Catholic, he focused on an, what he called an indirect approach to the faith, where he would start with things that are common to people, um, that everybody can relate with, and by the end, he would funnel them into the divine truth that he wanted them to realize the connection, and then also be the, what they take away, uh, and so they kind of follow that logic, and 60% of his audience was not Catholic. But many people don't realize that. Um, and then, you know, so he did that until 1957, and then the plug got pulled on him. So that's a whole other story. But that's kind of like how he got into that um, and, and was able to reach so many millions of people um, around the world, not just in the United States. Wow. Absolutely incredible what one man can do. And it makes you think, you know, could he have done this if he wasn't a priest with a family and everything like that? The answer is probably no. It's absolutely incredible that he went overseas and he got that. Did you say a super doctorate? Is that an actual thing or is that just a name you came up with? <laughs> well, I, mean, I didn't come up with it. It's not the official term, um, but it's, it supersedes the doctorate that he already obtained. What it is is that this university, he got a doctorate in philosophy. 
which is what it's, that's supposed to specialization. But if you did extremely well, you were by invitation only invited to take a, um, a special examination reserved for such qualified candidates. And it was an all day examination, let's say from like 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. or whatever it was. And you just went from professor to professor to professor, oral examination, and they grilled you. And if, um, depending on how you did, would, uh, you, oh, I actually put it this way. You found out how well you did by the dinner that was served later that evening. And if you passed, you got water. If you passed with distinction, then you got beer. If you passed with um, greater distinction, then you got wine. But if you passed with the highest distinction, you got champagne. And so, as Sheen put it, he's like, the champagne never tasted as good as it did that night. <laughs> so, he, so the, what they called that degree, they called it an agrage. Because, all you know, it's Belgium, so it's French. An agrage en philosophie. So, in other words, you are invited, you're aggregated into the faculty of philosophy um, by how well you did in that exam. And he received that invitation. So he got that extra degree slash invitation from them, which nobody else offers. So the only way we could describe it is like it's a super doctorate. <laughs> wow. He was the first American to do that. That's incredible. I did not know that. I did not know that. I'm sure a lot of our listeners had no idea about that. Truly incredible. The things that he did, his intelligence was something that I think uh, you don't overlook it. You watch the guy on on YouTube, which I have watched hours and hours of, and he it's obvious. He's a genius. He's a genius. He doesn't stutter. He's a master public speaker, uh, and God's grace really flowed through him. He really did so much. Absolutely incredible. And I just want to ask, uh, let's see here. I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball. Is Fulton Sheen's name actually even Fulton Sheen? <laughs> Not his baptismal name. I, this is where I take a little pride here because, of course, it's, it's my name. You know, his, his real name was Peter Sheen. And basically, when he, when he was really young and people would ask for his name, um, he was always referred to his grandfather, his, his name, Fulton. Like, oh, it's Fulton's boy. This is Fulton's boy and all this. And so when he moved to Peoria, went into school, he just started going by Fulton and then changed that, you know, his name. Uh, well, I mean, he didn't go through any kind of register as far as I know. It's just, I bet, you know, back then you just start using it and that was his name. But I think there's a huge providential divine purpose behind something that almost seems insignificant because the names Fulton and Sheen are actually Irish, you know, Irish Gaelic and Fulton means war and Sheen means peace. Mm. And so if there was ever a man who was destined to be the master communicator to not only the church, but to the world, of what the war is that the, the real war underlying everything else that's been going on in the last 150 years, what that war really is about. How do we understand that? And then how do we, on top of that, what do we need to do to have a lasting peace? This guy, for lack of <laughs> this man, this saintly man, like you're saying, this genius was entrusted the blueprint that the world needs. And he spent his whole life his whole life uh, communicating that to the whole world. Right. 
It's a beautiful thing. And right, guy is not the right word for him. He is a saintly man. <laughs> Truly, I believe he is a saint in heaven right now, although the official declaration of that fact is yet to be uh, fulfilled here on earth. I just want to give a quick shout out to a young man named Fulton Taggart. He's a little buddy of mine. He's uh, a miracle child named after Fulton Sheen. So Fulton, if you're listening, you're a great young man and may God bless you and your family. So Dr. Peter Howard, please tell us what is the Fulton Sheen movement? Well, the Fulton Sheen movement is pretty much just as it sounds. It is something that is a grassroots movement that really came out of a need. Like all things, it's, um, as many, if not everyone of your listeners may know that for almost four years ago, the beatification mass that was scheduled for venerable Fulton Sheen was out of nowhere postponed. And, um, when it first happened, there was a lot of attention given to that, um, especially from the diocese of Peoria, who, uh, really was blindsided by the entire thing. I mean, here they are. They work tirelessly um, and relentlessly to, to get all the canonical work submitted, all the investigations, you know, to which everybody should be extremely grateful. Um, and through that, he, after the, the Vatican reviewed that, it was, uh, he was given the term venerable, which means he demonstrated clearly what a saint must have in order to be even considered for beatification and canonization um, is that they demonstrated clearly heroic virtue. That's the definition of a canonized saint. Um, and then, the, of course, the miracles are, there, are the ones that verify the fact that he is in heaven, de facto, because he's now interceding um, and obtained for, in particular instance, a miracle for somebody, and the church then confirms it. So the hardest part is actually being declared venerable, because that's where the entire life of the man is, or woman, but in this case, Fulton Sheen, is looked at. Um, so anyway, to go back to the, uh, the postponement, I just kind of call it a cancellation, because you know, I agree with, um, I mean, having been, followed this extremely closely for, from the beginning, um, Sheen's been a part of my life for over 20 years, uh, but I was on senior cruise for the Diocese of Peoria, quickly came out and said that, that this was an act of sabotage because mm -hmm. there's no reason for it. Um, and that's clearly what it is. There hasn't been given a sufficient reason, um, but it's been postponed now for almost four years. And the hang up has been, um, well, there's this attorney general report that's been under underway for years and it's, the secular look into the diocese to see if there was any malfeasance of, of priests or bishops um, in the handling of uh, alleged uh, child sex abuse, whether it be, you know, if, if it's the perpetrators of it or how it was handled by bishops, things that the Vatican already looked at in the most meticulous manner, more than even a secular authority could do, because the Church has access to things that the secular world doesn't. And, and of course, that's one area where they're not going to sit there and be in any way sloppy. You know, no stone is left unturned. Um, and even every little hypothetical or, um, or even the slightest uh, question that came up, the Vatican knew, dealt with it, with the, you know, and Peoria worked so closely with them, obviously, through all of this. 
and I've spoken to them at length about it. Um, and you know, they did such a great job. So the whole question is, well, then what's the whole point of this? Like, why is this, why was this even allowed? And that is kind of the mystery to be honest. And that's kind of what became the genesis of this movement is there it's, it's really calling out the emperor has no clothes. There's no, there's absolutely nothing obstructing the church from doing what the church does ever, especially from the secular authority, which, you know, for all intents and purposes, it doesn't matter what they think. Even if they, they came out to some conclusion that Sheen was the antichrist, it'd be like, well, <laughs> we almost expect that from the world to do anything they could to, you know, throw a wrench into something. Um, the church's investigation is the investigation and only investigation that matters. And they already made this determination. They confirmed the miracle of James Fulton um, Angstrom, who lives in Peoria, and which was the contrary. That was it. So that was why it was so fast. You could set the date and it was within months and they moved really fast. So the fact that this has been sitting on hold, with the excuse of, well, we want this attorney general report to come out. And then, then it seems like that's the appropriate time to declare him blessed. I, I personally think, and I know I'm not the only one who thinks this, I think that that's totally scandalous because it's saying that the church is waiting to take its cues on when it can do anything of its own affairs when the world is ready for that. And the question is who is leading whom? And so um, this whole thing of, well, we need to wait for that is, like I said, it's, a, it's an emperor has no clothes. It's, it's completely irrelevant. But there were powerful officials from the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, as it said in what I was reading an article years ago about this. And it, it was you know, at the request of a few members, that's a quote, unquote, of the USCCB, mm. the Vatican decided to postpone it. So we pretty much know who they are. I mean, I think it's, we know de facto who they are. Um, what was that all about? Because when, it in, when in the end, it doesn't matter what any secular authority says, then why, how was that even accepted? But the Vatican, I mean, like I said, it was very powerful people because the Vatican who's obviously not going to do a separate investigation into this. It was obviously those who had influence with them saying, we need to postpone this. And this is where the rabbit hole just gets worse and worse. Um, so long story short, because we can go back and some of, look at some of the details. The movement was to do exactly that. It's time to move this thing forward. It's time to call things out for what they are, like Fulton Sheen said. I mean, the, the, he said something so prophetic as if he had looked to, to this moment in time, when we are dealing with a, a great crisis of leadership, um, of, you know, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said, who is going to save the church? First off, that's acknowledging the church is going to be in an utter crisis if he's going to say that. And he says, it's not going to be us bishops and priests, but it will be you, the people, the laity. You have the eyes, the ears, and the mind to save the church. And it is your responsibility to make sure that your bishops act like bishops, your priests act like priests, and your religious act like religious. That was when he was receiving an award in Pennsylvania. This is 1972, I think it was. 
at Our Lady of Chestahova Shrine. It was the Catholic Man of Action Award. Talk about a call to action to the laity that, you know, nobody wants to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to assume that and feel great about that. Nobody likes to call on their leaders to be leaders. But the reality is, is that the fa- like, this is a manufactured crisis, manufactured shadows over the cause of a man whose case for beatification is so open and shut. He's so squeaky clean that if they're going to, if they're going to say that there's questions and they're waiting, like what would they be waiting for? What could New York's report in any way change? If it changes the determination of the church, that would have to say that the entire process of, in, of investigating our saints is flawed. And then if we're going to go that route, then we better ha- we're going to have to basically relook at all the other modern saints. You might as well look at St. John Paul II. Was he given that title prematurely? Well, we had bishops and cardinals under him that were disasters that we know with sexual abuse and all these kinds of things. Like, it's a very dangerous thing. But they were able to do it, and it's sort of a monarchical thing, knowing that the lay people probably won't really know what's going on. They might get a little bit upset, but they're not used to a movement that would respond to that in the spirit of what Sheen said. And that's why we're doing this. I mean, this is, if anything, it's to help what happened at Peoria, to help the diocese in that area, to get what they worked for. But Sheen doesn't belong to any diocese. He belongs to the whole church. And that's another thing that the movement represents. The people, you know, the first thing we did was start a petition to give a collective voice to Catholics all around the world who know who Fulton Sheen is, who want to see his beatification now that, especially now that they realize what happened, that there's no reason that this has been held up. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to see it done. So we've had people from every inhabited continent, you know, sign this petition to basically set the date again. They can set it tomorrow. Regardless of whatever is said, there's nothing that is preventing them from doing that. But it comes down just to a few individuals holding this entire beatification hostage. That's, that's really what it is. Right. Absolutely. So the church is waiting on secular permission to perform a holy canonization, and that is what you would call a scandal. And you could call it a whole lot of other things. And we'll talk more about that here in just one second. But first, we have to do a quick break and pay the bills here and say thank you to our beloved sponsors. We'll be right back. You're listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Kathy and Anne from Catholic Spirit Radio. We are looking for folks who would love to volunteer with us during our fundraisers and various other station events and tasks throughout the year. We really need volunteers in the DeKalb, Sycamore, Morris, Joliet, and Lincoln areas, as well as Bloomington Normal. If you have a few extra hours or more a month, put them to use for the Lord. We would love to add your name to our Catholic Spirit Radio volunteer list. Contact us at office at catholicspiritradio.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. I'm your host, Paul Garcia, and I'm speaking with the wonderful Dr. Peter Howard, the director of the Fulton Sheen Movement. Now, just before the break, doctor, we were talking about how it is a scandal that the church is waiting on secular permission to perform this holy canonization of Fulton Sheen. Um, we Off the air, we were talking a little bit. It was getting a little heated, not as in a disagreement between you and I, but as in this is a matter that should not be halted, to put it simply. So you said, and you mentioned in the last segment, 
that there are a few individuals, really, perhaps bishops, that are holding up this this process that has been put on hold for the past four years, the process of canonizing and making Fulton Sheen a saint. Could you tell me a little more about that? Can you even name the few individuals, or is that a, a no-no? Well, I don't know if it's... A, I mean, <laughs> from this perspective of those um, who... Uh, would be named that would be seen as a no-no because you know but repeatedly from every conversation that i've had on this from those who have investigated this closely from the beginning um that, and i it may even be admitted but it did come out the at least two of the prelates were out of new york the archdiocese in new york and chicago so you could put the pieces together um about that because who would have the ability to just to wield that influence um, over the Vatican to literally pull the plug on something when knowingly that this report will will change nothing. Like that is a fact. This whatever comes out of New York will not change the determination of the Holy See. Hmm. And if it did, like I said, that enters the church into another massive scandal that is way before or way above whether somebody um, deserves this title or that. It's the entire integrity. And uh, that's kind of the times in which we live. There's a lot of confusion going on. So, you know, uh, and then it was the, the the call, the direct call, you could say, to Rome came from the Diocese of Rochester. That we do know because they issued a statement, Bishop Matano out of uh, Rochester, um, because it, that's where she was bishop for three years, 1966 to 1969. Those are the three years that were they were like, oh, well, you know, that's being looked at by New York, which were like the easiest things to investigate of all the things in Sheen's life. That was probably the easiest. And like the Diocese of Peoria said, as soon as this thing got postponed, that was the word that they used, postponed. You know, they were very quick to answer that the Vatican's uh, examination uh, included, it looked at any kind of question. And they said that it was very clear that there were never any allegations against Sheen of any abuse of minors, and there wasn't any misconduct on his part in, in properly dealing with um, dealing with priests. You know, when he was Bishop of Rochester, there were never issues. Like they, you know, they looked at that. If there's one area more than anything, they're going to be careful is that. So this, at least I'm looking at this, it just gets darker and darker. I mean, I just I feel so bad for the Diocese of Peoria because. I mean, just imagine, this was not, this was calculated, whatever happened. Monsignor Cruz absolutely was dead on when he said this was sabotage, because two and a half weeks before the, the beatification Mass, and remember, the Mass is ceremonial. Like, the Church has already come to the, to the determination that Fulton Sheen is blessed. By decree, July 5th, 2019, Pope Francis approved the one miracle that was necessary that ratifies that he is now able to be proclaimed at a Mass. Blessed. The Mass is purely ceremonial. But it's kind of like this whole thing of, like, the best picture, you know, of the century is going to be presented at the Oscars, and then everybody finds out ahead of time, who it is, and they're just waiting for that, for the Oscars, you know, to be, mm-hmm. so they announce it, and they hold it in their hand. I mean, that's not the best analogy, but it's kind of like that. It, it's already been determined. It's already sealed in the envelope. It's done. And 
But but because we can't, you know, you could say anticipate the church to just start calling him blessed, even though theologically that's extremely accurate because that's, you know, that's how the church works. Do we not believe in the authority and determination of the church? So, you know, it's, it's, uh, I almost lost my train of thought for a second there, but, mm-hmm. um, it, it, this is, this is something that is, is deeply scandalous. And it, of course, it costs the diocese of Peoria lots of money. I thought it was very calculated. I mean, you know how much money goes into preparing for these things, the satellites. Right. I know the man who was responsible for all of that. And thanks be to God, he was so, you know, he was blessed with very, a lot of gifts. I mean, he was able to kind of undo a lot of contracts and things, but uh, to do that to somebody. And then to add to the fact of, you know, the one wish that Sheen's niece had, Joan Cunningham, who donated so much to the museum there and was responsible single-handedly for getting the body of Sheen from New York to Peoria by fighting, you know, three cases, or that one case through all three levels of the state of New York justice system. Every single one upheld her, her right to have the, um, the authority over the location of his body. And, you know, so it's hard not to think, like, the, the, is there retribution that was involved? Because, like, who does it so close? This investigation was already going on at mm-hmm. that time. You know, like, why did they pull the plug in the summer? Why didn't they just, why did they ever set a date the first time if this was already going on? Why? So this is why it's, it's it, I don't want to say it's, like, it's the same as the life of Sheen, but this isn't the first time that Sheen is uh, sabotaged by the archdiocese, by his own archdiocese. Well, let <laughs> we me ask you. Let me ask you this, then, just a, a two-part question, and let's put it very, very clearly so that everyone can understand. The Attorney General report of priestly abuse, I believe that came out in 2019, and it is believed that that is what is holding up uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen's canonization, his beatification. Uh, what could this attorney general report? What is it? What is the worry that it will reveal? And why does that worry make so many uh, bishops or higher ups in the church nervous about proceeding forward with this canonization process? So, what is the concern? What could this reveal? What are they worried it could reveal? And then I want to ask you. You say it's calculated that this this postponement, this cancellation, you could even say this icing, this freezing. You say it's calculated. You say it's even sabotage. From who and why? So again, two-part question. What could it reveal that worries everyone? And then why do you believe it's calculated and even sabotage? Well, the, to the answer to the first question, it's not going to reveal anything. It's just the one card that's so nebulous that it seems like, oh, it's an act of prudence to wait for something that could potentially, who knows? I mean, they know that nothing's going to come out. They, did, they know that. So it's like, it's, it's the only thing that they could possibly use that would be strong enough to convince Rome, who's not going to sit there and investigate these most powerful prelates in our country, to say, oh, well, uh, well, we made our decision. You should, I mean, that's what they should have said. We made our decision. Um, too late, you know, deal with it later on. And, and, or say, that's precisely why we need Fulton Gene, you know, mm-hmm. uh, beatified. So that's, that's why I keep saying the emperor has no clothes. And the more that people realize the truth of this, they start calling it out. So 
I think that's the answer to the first one. The second, because remember, the report didn't come out in 2019. The investigation was ongoing, hmm. and it's still we're waiting for the report now. Um, and so somebody said, "Well, what's the harm in waiting? You know, maybe it's a few more months, maybe it's six months, or whatever it may be." That just leads to a whole other question we could address after this. The second question was, um, was it who? It who, was, who would want to sabotage this? Yeah, you said it was calculated, and even that it yeah. is sabotage. Who would have done this, and why? Well, this, the, the, the prelates, the, these officials from the USCCB, the ones that I've alluded to, um, who, one, they do, they do not want to see Sheen beatified. The, the reasons why, I don't know specifically, because obviously ha- they haven't been revealed. But if it's, you know, if, it's, if it indeed is from the Archdiocese of New York, that's an easy one. Then we'll say, like, well, what's a really good way to get back, <laughs> if you wanted to, um, at the diocese who, um, from their perspective, from New York's perspective, would be, oh, you know, took the body of Sheen away from them. Um, and cost the Archdiocese of New York over one million dollars, which is, you know, all from the faithful. They, that's what they contributed to, and where did their money come from? Um, all that money was lost, and they lost the body of Sheen. Um, not a lot of good things are are looking well, um, you know, from the sake of of leadership there. That this is one way that you, even if they can't ultimately stop it. It, this is an embarrassing disruption, and it certainly, it certainly would cause um, big problems for the diocese of Peoria because, I mean, two and a half weeks out, everything's in place. And just imagine how much coverage is going to go into this. All, I mean, the people who book flights and all these things, I mean, that's actually the smallest of the things, but, you know, all of the media, all the things that were built around this, all the print, I mean, it's incredible to think how much went into that. Um, what an easy way to derail that. You know, we live in a climate where you can derail the entire life of a priest by simply making up an allegation. Mm-hmm. How many priests do we know that that's happened to? I know a number of them. One of them was finally cleared. But the, in a certain sense, does it matter? Well, yes, in the sense of, yes, he's cleared. But the damage is done. Who's going to, you know, people are going to look with greater suspicion still. So, as I say, the church has created its own shadows, its own problems. Nobody has presented anything. And in fact, what they're basically saying implicitly is, we doubt. Not We don't doubt. It's it's not a matter of what could they present in New York. It'd be, well, we doubt that maybe Rome could have gotten something wrong. That's the only conclusion one could make. Otherwise, you'd have to say, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what New York... Or anyone says, you know, the Supreme Court of the United States, I and mean, it doesn't matter what any secular authority says. The Church's own affairs are its own affairs. Its naming of its saints is its own internal process. And so that's why it's like, wow, we have to remove the, the, the blinders, we have to blow out, you know, the smoke, we have to remove all the mirrors, and be able to see, oh my goodness, like, this really is what it is. And, you know, and, and, and really start becoming assertive, you know, mm-hmm. give, I mean, give us our blessing, sort of like John Paul II, Santo Subito, like give us our saint, open, shut case. And he was pretty fast and he was a pope, 
but Sheen's case is even easier. Yes. So, anyway, so that's that's why this is such a big ordeal. And the and the longer Peoria waits, then it doesn't look good on Peoria because they're that's saying they're buying into this. Right. And you'll get no you'll get nothing but support from us here at Catholic Spirit Radio and Normal. And you mentioned this during the break that Peoria could make this happen. And that even they're not that happy about this movement that you have orchestrated. Why? Tell me more about that. Why could Peoria make this happen? How could they make this happen? And why are they not doing it? Well, it has to come to, it's Peoria has obviously, you know, their Episcopal leadership there. And um, Peoria is still considered the center of the Sheen world. I mean, literally his body is there now. and they can, you know, they can raise havoc over this by simply saying the same thing. It's sort of like, and the, like I said, in the very beginning, like Monsignor Cruz was one of the officials who was involved, and he knew everything that was going on, of course, behind the scenes, too. And, you know, for him to use a word like sabotage is, was not careless. It was not impulsive. It was a very accurate, precise word. And so either he's right or he's wrong. And he's, he's clearly right. And if that's the case, how could you let something like this go on? It, it, the argument comes back, well, what harm is there just to wait a little bit longer? One, we don't know when it's going to come out. But two, that's acknowledging the emperor has clothes, <laughs> you know, which as long as you're doing that, just makes people question the integrity of the church even more. I mean, this, mm-hmm. this is a big issue. You know, it's not, it's, it's, when the church introduces shadows on somebody, like I said, they created the shadows. They create a shadow on Sheen. Well, a doubt in people's mind. Well, wait, could he have done something? Wait a minute, maybe we should. Like, no. Like, they created that. And so that's, that's a big issue. Um, and so, you know, I think that it, in the end, it, it's, it's going to come down to the diocese of Peoria could could raise all of the of the flags and say, "Look, it doesn't matter whether this happens next week or four years from now." And they should be saying this to the Holy See, not to these bishops and you know, or the cardinals who are involved, because uh, obviously they don't want to see it happen for other reasons, which I can't definitively speak on. But it's like you can definitely come up with, I think, some some obvious. <laughs> reasons why they might not want him. Um, but uh, they, they could be leading this charge. And believe me, if, if they did, they're going to find hundreds of thousands of people much more quickly jumping on mm-hmm. to get this, because they do hold a certain megaphone, if they wish to use it, that can, can rally that. So the movement exists at the, as a service to the diocese, but it's we're not waiting on them. We're not waiting for anybody to give us our cues because, you know, I, I'm a theologian. I've been, I've served the church for over 20 years on every capacity, juridically, um, episcopally, under you know, as a uh, an assistant to a bishop. I mean, I've, I've served on every faculty you could think of, and um, and and I understand how the work how the church works theologically and practically. And there is a, something called the vox populi, the voice of the people. It matters. And it's not just a matter of like, oh, how, you know, this Dr. Howard wants his moment with Sheen in the, in the limelight or something. Like, it's like, no, I understand the signs of the times. 
I know exactly what Fulton Sheen meant when he was talking about the, that we are indeed at the end of an era, he said. And here we are, when things quicken, at the end of an era, things always quicken. It's a Latin saying, things quicken in the end. Lotus mm. infini velocior. And that's what we're experiencing. I don't have to explain this you know, to you, Paul. You know, I mean, culturally speaking, look at where we've gone in the last four years. And then look in the last year. It's like we could never could have imagined how fast. I mean, talk about Operation Warp Speed and the culture disintegration. That's what's happening. We don't have time. Like, the reason that this is so urgent is because we live in the most urgent time in all of history, not just, like, at one era. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is the most urgent time ever, and we're acting like we have tomorrow, like we have a year, like, and, and we're just watching families disintegrate, we're watching, you know, I mean, we're, people have to show up in Los Angeles to, you know, to... Uh, oppose what happens at Dodger Stadium with these sisters of perpetual indulgence, the blasphemy going after our children. I mean, this is like, this is the most unbelievable evil that we're we're, we're facing. And we only see a a few, a few bishops that are willing to take that stand. And I get in, as we know too, at a great price, at a great price. So, you know, that's, I'll stop there. <laughs> Absolutely powerful, incredible stuff you're saying right now. You got me clenching my fists here in the studio. We'll be right back in just one minute. We'll pick up right here where we left off. Thank you very much for that. Uh, and we'll be right back after these few words from our beloved sponsors. You're listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. There's a new app. So Catholic Spirit Radio listeners with new phones, tablets, and other listening devices can also listen to our programs and podcasts. Go to your Google Play or Apple App Store to find the app Catholic Spirit Talk Radio. It's free. New app, same quality programs. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. I'm your host, Paul Garcia, and I'm speaking with Dr. Peter Howard, the director of the Fulton Sheen Movement. It's been a riveting conversation thus far, and we are winding down towards the end here. And Dr. Howard, I would like to ask, why why is this so important to Catholics, the whole process of Bishop Sheen's canonization? Why is it important? It's because it puts Sheen where he should be. You know, when you have a, um, when the church establishes definitively the sanctity of someone and having gone through all of their writings and their teachings and everything, they also show that they are without error, which is huge. Um, as, so when they become ble- when they become venerable, that's a huge thing. That means all of their writings and everything that, they, that they've ever done has been consistent and faithful to the Church, just like Sheen was told two months before he died by then-Pope John Paul II, who was barely Pope for a year, who said, you have written and spoken well of the Lord Jesus. You are a loyal son of the Church, the famous embrace that they had. So when he becomes blessed, that's a big deal. Not, it's not a trophy. It's not like, oh, you know, he's made it, you know, summa cum laude or whatever. It's... Um, it's, this man needs to be looked at, one, for the path to holiness, because you wouldn't be blessed other, otherwise. Um, and what, what does he have to offer us? Why did God give the Church sheen for right now? So this, you know, the timing of this right now is extremely important, because it puts the entire spotlight of the Church on this new blessed, who he was, 
how he lived, what he had to say. And in this case, for Sheen, like we've already mentioned, he was such a prophet for our times. If you want to understand exactly what we're facing in this world, he mapped it out in terminology and in, in ways that anybody could understand this. Even when he's talking about Marxism, which is exactly mm-hmm. what we're facing, cultural Marxism. That's the woke culture. Um, you know, he dismantles the whole thing, but he also, you know, tells us uh, the path out. And, and his personal life exemplified that. So it's like he's like the General MacArthur that's going to be announced, but the moment he's become blessed, everyone's going to be like, oh my gosh, we need to rediscover this man, especially the younger generations. When they do discover him outside of a little dabble, you know, here and there, they're like, wow, this guy's timeless. Mm-hmm. And they have short expend, they have short attention spans. They, you know, they're coming from a very different perspective than even my generation. So, um, it, it's, uh, it, he becomes a magnet and, and because he's also acknowledged as blessed, then you have everybody seeking his intercession because he's obviously performed yes. a miracle that the church has confirmed. Well, how many other miracles? Can he perform when people start going to him? Just like when he was alive, you could say miracles of conversion took place through him. Just imagine what that's going to be now when we officially look to him and seek his intercession um, for the for more miracles. So it, it you can see why the, on that flip side why the devil does not want this to happen. Why he wants to trivialize the when and the how or whatever it may be versus. Like Sheen says, here's, this is a great quote, and I'll, and I'll stop here to move on to the next point. But he says, only those who live by faith really know what is happening in the world. Mm. The great masses mm. without faith are unconscious of the destructive processes going on because they have lost the vision of the heights from which they have fallen. And that was Sheen's mission, was to show them the vision of the heights to which they are called and to show them step by step in the formation of their intellect in the formation of their daily prayer life. Like, that's why he made a daily holy hour, to which he attributed all of his power to convert souls, was through the daily holy hour, which he kept for 60 years, never broke it from the day of his ordination. I mean, all of these things. Imagine priests living like this. Imagine laity being inspired by this. People who are, you know, in positions of leadership in countries, rediscovering the Christian philosophy of life in a way that anybody can grasp this. At a time when the entire world's being turned over, you know, everything, there's nothing that's going to be the same when this era is, is over. America, the world, everything is going to be a 2.0. And what is that going to look like? like imagine this guy's been given that and for us. If I were the devil, I would do everything to make him seem insignificant and trivial and just keep him to, you know, random YouTube views here and there versus, you know, he should have zillions. And people should be using him, you know, for every state of life, for mar- restoring marriages and families. I mean, it's so, yeah, but that, that's how important this is. I mean, a tsunami of grace, I've used that phrase before, a tsunami of grace will come into the church through his beatification. I'm absolutely convinced of that. Absolutely. I could not agree more. I am just as confident as you are in that we will have that tsunami of grace once he is canonized, once he is beatified, made a saint. Uh you know, when I hear you talk, and I, I am a big advocate of this as well, is a lot of Catholics, we're just, we're just wimps. We really are. We really are. We've become complacent. We, we've become okay with so many things uh, being, I don't know, happening in the world. And we don't stand up. We don't say things. 
Something that you mentioned is the Latin phrase modus in fine velocior, if I'm saying that right. Things quicken yep. in the end. And you talk about Bishop Fulton Sheen and how he spoke about the four eras of history and how it seems that we are coming to the last part of the final era, the fourth era of history. I don't know exactly what that means. I want you to tell me a little bit more about that. But also, you talk about if you were the devil, you'd sure want Bishop Fulton Sheen's canonization process to be halted as well. For us not to have this tsunami of grace, of course, of course you would want that if you were the devil. And you spoke about Peter even, how Christ says to him, get behind me, Satan. And now he, he doesn't realize, Peter doesn't realize that he's acting in, a, in an evil way and trying to prevent Christ from going forward with his own crucifixion. He thinks he's doing the right thing. Is it, is it bad of me to say that maybe some bishops that are halting this process don't know what they're doing is, is wrong and evil and greatly terrible to the church and the world as a whole? I'm throwing a lot at you here. Tell me more yeah. about, though, the four errors of history, um, maybe the unintentional evil of people that are halting this process, wherever you want to take that. Okay, well, first of all, I mean, I, I pray with all my heart that it is unintentional. I, it's hard to imagine now that that is the case. I mean, these, these are not people who are ignorant. You know, they're intimately involved in the direction of the church in the United States, especially, but even beyond because they're, um, one is at least involved in this whole synod of synodality, which is becoming more and more a disaster, you know, saying we need to develop the art of listening to everybody. But in the midst of all that, it seems like they stop listening to Christ himself. Mm. So anyway, you know, regarding that, as far as the four eras of history, Fulton Sheen talks about this in his autobiography, Treasure and Clay, and he says basically how God, or, or the history of the Church has worked in cycles of about, of about 500 years, and at the end of that, each of these eras, in the crossover period, God would raise up a great Pope to help prepare the Church for what was coming. And he talked about Gregory the Great in the first, at the end of the first, Gregory the seventh, at the, um, the next, at the turn of the first millennium, two, Domin- or two Benedictines, and then a Dominican, Pope Pius V, in the 16th century, in 1500s, and then you have... Then he pointed to, says, now the one that was to come, because he was writing in, like, 78, 79. And he said, this one is going to be riding on this pope, or this man who will be coming from Poland. And um, and it was very prophetic. And, you know, it ends up being John Paul II. He knew who he was. I mean, I think he was already a pope at that time, of course. And um, But he said that this pope will go down as one of the greatest, Popes or figures in all of church history, and it's so interesting how you know John Paul II. Then we had literally going up into the crossover into the millennium. He saw his job as as leading the church into the third millennium, but we don't have him today. Which goes to show too that it doesn't necessarily matter maybe who's at the helm at the moment. The church has been equipped with everything it needs, and you would think, especially at the end of that era. That God's going to be throwing, you know, removing all the stops, removing the full arsenal of what we're going to need to do this. So we had spiritually Fatima, and then all these popes from there. Um, the whole message of Fatima is really the spiritual backbone. And then you have Fulton Sheen, who basically spanned the 20th century. John Paul II takes the, the torch from him like an Olympian, passing on to the final one who's going to light the cauldron, and he takes the church into the third millennium. The same exact things, the same exact things that Fulton Sheen did. John Paul then just took it to the whole world with the authority of a pope. 
So it's like John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. And he, as soon as you know Jesus comes on the scene, John the Baptist says, he must increase, I must decrease. Mm. So I think that that's kind of what God's purpose was behind that. But now, you know, both of them are in heaven, and now it's like we need to be looking. What has God given us? What, what is the arsenal that we need to face this? And it's not complicated. So just between those three things, Fatima, Fulton Sheen, and John, St. John Paul II, like they, they embody everything of the Church that we need uh, for right now. So um, that, that, that's why this is so important, that no matter what's going on in the Church, we're, we, that was given to us to be able to deal with this era of confusion, the spirit of Antichrist that is now clearly throughout the world. And both John Paul II and, and Fulton Sheen, Fulton Sheen said it in 1943, John Paul II said it in 1976 to America, that we are living in the final confrontation. Sheen said we're living at the end of an era, the last days of the apocalypse. Mm. And, and so where the mystical body of Christ is going to be faced with the mystical body of Antichrist. So Pope John Paul II called it the, the church and the anti-church, the gospel and the anti-gospel, but they called it the final confrontation. So these, I mean, look at the things that we have. So this is all the preparation, and that's why like, this movement is to help connect those dots for people and also to realize that Sheen has done so much of the heavy lifting. People are like, I can't study all these things. I can't study them. Great. If you just studied the life and teachings of Sheen, you would be an incredibly powerful saint for our times, period. And, you know, so it's like, here we are. And that's a big part of this movement. So the petition is only a small part of it, but it's, it's an important one. Right. And just as you said in that saying, modus in fine filocior, things quicken in the end. You talked about a ball going down a funnel and how it starts to really spin at the end. I can't help but think of if you ever spun a quarter and you watch it spin around uh, as it's you know on that table, and then it starts getting towards the end, it starts falling on its side, and it just starts spinning so rapidly. So many things happen rapidly. So much anti-Christianity, anti-Catholicism stuff starts to pop up in the news. The news swings so heavily to the left. It gets so evil. I mean, issues of sexuality, the family starts to destruct, which is another thing that Fulton Sheen talked a lot about. If you want to destroy a nation, first destroy the family. You see it happening at the same time. You talk about Fatima, St. John Pope, St. Pope John Paul II, Bishop Fulton Sheen, these people popping up as well, as much good as there is bad, quickly coming to the surface. It's really, really incredible. It's downright frightening, though, at the same time. You hear the final days of the apocalypse. That's not fun to hear, but it's a lot more fun, I can promise you, if you're on the right side of, of that judgment. And let me ask you this. We've got a few few more minutes left, and that's all. What, what can we do? You talked about reading the life and times and the teachings of Bishop Folden Sheen. What can we do to prepare ourselves for, to put it bluntly, uh, the final days of the apocalypse? And what can we also do to do our part in making this process of canonizing Bishop Folden Sheen? What can we do to help that? Sure, I'll answer the second part first. Uh, it's easy and simple. It, go to FultonSheenMovement.com. There's a petition on that page. You'll see notable influencing Catholics who have already signed it, who are truly leaders of our times. This is your concrete way to join your voice to those around the world, which, you know, think of that tsunami that's going to come. It becomes, it builds up. It builds up over time. 
well, we need some big breakthroughs of this. Um, and that's something you can do in under 30 seconds, put in your, your name and email. And it also puts you into the movement family. So then you're, you're going to be, you know, given stuff all the time to be able to, to keep feeding you and with Fulton Sheen. And then, um, the, what was the second part about the, <laughs> the it was a little app? deeper. Um, but before I even ask that one, you mentioned a rosary, a daily rosary. I'm sure that could help. Oh, well. yes, of course. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, where you are, it would be, um, well, it's Eastern. No, it's your, your, your central. central so, yeah. So you are 10 a.m. Central time, Monday through Friday. We have an international group live. We pray a rosary on our YouTube channel. Just put in Fulton Sheen Institute. Both different, not movement, but Fulton Sheen Institute, because that's already existed. And you'll be able to join us, put your petitions on there. And we, we're going to pray this movement forward. We're going to put the power behind the actions that we do. So, um, you know, they both are working in tandem. Sign the petition, uh, pray with the rosary with us, and pray. we're praying for miracles every single day through Fulton Sheen. So there's another way to do it. Um, and then, uh, then about the end, the uh, apocalyptic one, what was the question? Yes, that was how do we prepare, because immediately my mind goes to you know, I want to be on the right side of things, of course, but what about my friends and family who uh, who could care less about Catholicism and Christianity, and they're, they're right. more on the side of, you know, maybe they're attending that Dodgers game with the uh, blasphemous nuns and everything. What do we do about sure. them? Well, you witness by your life, you know. I mean, you have to be faithful first and foremost. We have to live what we, what we preach to others. So, you know, praying the family rosary every day, Fulton Sheen would say everybody should be making it a holy hour, particularly in front of our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament. If you can't, then make it at home. He said this, not even the Catholics, but Protestants and Jews. He said this during World War II. At a time of war, this is our, to be our response, and that gives us power. Um, you know, one of the things that we're doing with the movement is we have an event, because live events have always had the biggest impact. And in light of this whole Eucharistic revival that we're in, um, we have an event that's called Forged in Eucharistic, um, Forged in Eucharistic Fire, Re- the power to remake you and evangelize the world. When people who are like lukewarm Catholics, and when they come to this, they're going to have their eyes open because they're going to get the context. They're going to see, and there's going to be the power of the Holy Spirit working in these things. That's how I see this fire really spreading. It's going to be reaching those who are ready. Even if they're, you know, they're kind of lukewarm, they don't really know. Well, you know, this is like... This is where the laborers that go in at the end of the day, and God gives them special graces, and everybody else is like, well, wait a minute, they came in at the 11th hour. You know what? That's the time in which we live. The people you thought would be faithful aren't being faithful, or they're leaving the Church in the name of being faithful to the Church. You're going to have people who are just waiting for this message to come to them. And that's why this event, we want to hold it in every single state of the entire, not just the lower 48, but all of America. We want to we want to stoke that fire, or first ignite it and then stoke it. So this is an easy way to do that. Parishes can do that. You can hold an event, a regional event. We did one in Homer Glen, Illinois, not too far from you, at the Byzantine Church. Unbelievable response to that. The co-owner of the Chicago Bears came down and gave a talk on Fulton Sheen and how he was excited about that. He talked about faith and sports. So these live events are enormous. And so people can just do that by contacting us. Um, just the email is team at FultonSheenMovement.com, team at FultonSheenMovement.com. And you are the ones who are going to make this happen. You have to believe that as you're hearing this, you are being called 
to be the leaders. There's a reason you're, that right now, if you're listening to this, you are hearing this message, not just to sign a petition, but to become a leader, bring these things, make the change. We're going to help set the fire, and then you can be the one with your, your, your community that's going to fan it into flame. So these are, these are great ways that they can do that right now. And for a period of time, I have a relic of Sheen that is not in the museum that I want to take to every single uh, state in the United States, and it's his favorite miter that he used to wear. And so it's a second-class relic and a first-class relic because there's hair follicles in it. And what a, what a symbol to bring the miter, representing authority, leadership, being a true shepherd to every part of, this, of the Catholic Church in the United States. But especially, you know, we're talking to Illinois right now. Imagine being everywhere throughout Illinois, actively, you know, igniting these fires. Illinois could truly be the ground zero that makes this entire movement explode, like, the, the, you know, the little leaven that makes the whole loaf go. I'm pretty confident about that. So I'm hoping that, you know, your, your listeners will respond to that grace of the Holy Spirit um, right now. Dr. Howard, I've appreciated your time today so much, and I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and it's just been great. Thank you so much. I've learned so much. I'm as I'm pretty excited right now. I'm fired up. I'm going to go do a holy hour today, no doubt. I hope some of the listeners do that as well. And everyone remember, FultonSheenMovement.com. That's FultonSheenMovement.com. Sign the petition. Be a part of the beginning of igniting this flame, of starting this tsunami of grace that will come our way once Fulton Sheen is beatified and canonized. Thank you so much for your time today. It's truly been a privilege. Uh, it's been uh, a pleasure for me, Paul, and any time. I'm, I'm, I love talking about this man and just how important he is. So, let's, uh, yeah, we're on the front lines together. Absolutely. So thank you so much for the conversation, and thank you, everyone, for tuning into this episode of Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. As always, I'm your host, Paul Garcia, and from the studios at Catholic Spirit Radio, God bless and have a great week. You've been listening to Catholic Conversations. Download our podcasts at catholicspiritradio.com. 